0: You're listening to the CapEx Big Question podcast where we're joined by other investors, thought leaders and entrepreneurs discussing global game-changing trends and burning topics that keep investors up at night, one question at a time. Right, so today I've got my buddy Cuppy, Harris Kupperman on the line and for those of you who don't know who Harris is, he runs and Capital which is a hedge fund based in Florida. So how you going, Cuppy?
1: Hey, how's it going, Chris? Do
0: you want to give a quick background as to how you got into running Pretorian just for listeners' benefit? Some yeah, of the listeners sure. have heard from you before and they know who you are. Um, but for those that haven't, let's just do a quick update, hey?
1: So, I mean, the quick uh, and dirty on Praetorian is I had been investing in high schools where I started. I was quite successful in college and my senior year of college, a number of family friends asked me to help them with their investments. And it started off as something of a little partnership uh, and it just grew from there and uh, kept growing and growing. And we put together a great track record investing around the world in uh growing sort of smaller companies, uh, find a macro trend, buy the best stocks in the trend, and ride the trend. And it was very successful until 2008 when uh, the trend sort of changed. We had uh, been short. Uh, that had helped us some. But uh, it was amazing to see the air get sucked out of a lot of the smaller companies. And following 2008, I decided that I didn't want other people's money. And the fund went into a slow motion liquidation. And... Today there's uh, two other investors besides myself, and I'm, I'm quite happy with the way it is. It lets me really focus on uh, buying companies and taking a very long-term view of things um, without without all the structure and unnecessary headaches uh, along the way. Though um, you know, we spun off a company called Mongolia Growth Group, which uh, also was successful for a while. Um, you know, rather than dive into that, but um, I've really turned my energy back towards investing in uh, trading. And the world's changed since 2008, where uh, central bankers, omnipresent and omnipotent, and the world's gone from buying great little companies and riding for 5 or 10 years and watching them compound to guessing what the central bankers are going to do next and who's going to panic when and how, and basically playing those flows. And I've really moved out of the small cap world, though I can't wait to get back to it, and more towards the macro world of basically watching a bunch of overeducated people do stupid things and taking the other side of it and making money. So that, that's kind of where I've gone to.
0: Cool. You know, look, I mean, we're on the same page and many of the listeners and readers know that You know, I took a similar stance in that spending a lot of time in private equity for the last few years and this, this world has just changed dramatically. So I've gone back to that sort of global macro and trading and looking for opportunities. So let's let's dive into that because – you know, you and I have spoken a bunch about this before, but we've got equity markets that are, you know, at all-time highs, corporate profits, which are pretty sort of weak to disappointing. That's in the equity markets and the debt markets, really just insane, massively overvalued for the most part, which makes sense because you've got a lot of people that have been hunting the yield. And those market participants have basically been driven further down the risk curve so that, you know, they're taking on risks, which just are actually being compensated on a relative basis, you might say, well, they're being compensated, but it's relative to, you know, negative um, yielding sovereign debt, for example. Um, and then in real estate markets, again, you know, real estate is also just a yield instrument. And you know, yields are pretty low and you've got a huge amount of leverage in many markets, and in the developed markets. So, you know, that's kind of got us to the situation today where you know, you and I would discuss this and we're looking for opportunities and they're quite different today. So small caps, there's, an, there's a liquidity issue. So, you know, give us a rundown as to what it is that you're looking at. And, I, know, you know, you and I have um, been focused quite, on, quite a lot on currencies, but where are well, you focusing now?
1: See, the thing with small cap is that if the central bankers ever stop at the stimulus, they're all going to melt away because there's not much liquidity there. And they're very dependent on what happens in the overall economy. Even if they have a good balance sheet, as we learned in 2008, they can trade to half a cash. So you basically look at small caps and say, well, I think the central bankers are going to keep propping things up. But if they don't, there's no way out if there's a liquidity event. Uh, So why do I want those small caps? Because you can't get out. If uh, things keep going up like I think they will, there's some other liquid product that lets me ride the wave up. And uh, I don't need the small caps for that leverage. Uh, finally, and this is where I've been making most of my money over the last few years, is the fact that you know the central banks are heavier your back. Uh, they, they might pretend they don't, but you know they do. And I've just been waiting for sectors to have their inevitable crashes and uh, buy them. I'm having one of the best years ever this year. Uh, in f- January and February, it looked like anything that was uh, a bit levered uh, fell apart. This is everything from MLPs to REITs to just general levered companies. And a lot of these, you looked at them and you knew that they were going to be just fine. And I was buying a lot of MLPs at 30 and 40% dividend yields. And a lot of these things were three and four baggers. I wish I had held more of the shares on the way up. But um, you know they're great opportunities. In oil, I, for the first time in my life, I actually bought oil bonds and various oil producers. I, I've never even owned a bond before. And I was able to buy corporate bonds at 150 yield of maturity with 18 months left. And you know, I was the nearest maturity. Everyone else was behind me. It was really just great things to do. And then rather than ride it all the way up, I went to cash probably too soon. But I'm sitting in cash waiting for the next thing to happen. And the next thing to happen was Brexit. And I think this segues into you know what I'd like to talk with you about. But we basically got to a moment where the voters decided something and no one was ready for it. And there was a panic and opportunities were created.
0: Let's dive into that. So we've got this market event that took people by surprise, the reaction, of course, on the pound was pretty dramatic. And as I mentioned just the other week, you know, we're both long sterling versus the euro. We think that's, you know, that's a massive opportunity because there's a lot of problems in Europe. And really, I think that the problems in um, in Britain are known now. They're priced into the market and. From the currency side of things, that's got a a decent risk reward probability. But then, of course, there's a lot of companies that are being smashed. And, um, you know, so what is it that you're looking at there? Is there anything in British stocks that interests you?
1: I guess the thing that really interests me the most was just uh, British pound and euro. You just look at it, and, you know, you have this situation where the global elites, basically scared everyone senseless that if they voted for Brexit, the world would end. Then Brexit actually happened and everyone just said, oh, that's supposed to be bad and they just start selling. And you had uh, various groups that basically wanted this thing to be bad because they don't want other countries to leave. And I'm sure they helped push it even further. You're talking about uh, you know sovereign wealth funds and central banks. Everyone just said, let's have a pile on. and. You had a situation where the British pound just completely blew out, especially against the euro. When you look at the euro and you know the euro has much bigger problems than uh, the British do, now that uh, the UK is leaving the EU, uh, that's going to be good for the UK. It's going to be pretty awful for the EU. Uh, that's a trade you could put on and probably keep it on for a while. The day of Brexit, uh, I traded a lot of stock. There was a lot of uh, companies in the UK that got smashed and fortunately, it was a Friday. So you had the whole weekend to really just dive in and learn about stocks. You know, I bought some British home builders, the general view being that uh, you know they're going to cut rates. When you cut rates, that's pretty good for home builders. Additionally, with the GBP down, foreign companies and foreign individuals can go into the UK and buy property even cheaper. So that's going to be good for the home builders. I don't know why these home builders got smashed in half. It makes no sense. Uh, I bought a company called Foxtons, it's uh, one of the largest brokers in the UK. Uh, sorry, in London. Uh, I traded down from about 150 to just under 100. And I bought a bunch of it at 103. And not a week and a half later, I sold it at 120. It's crazy to think you can make almost 20% in two weeks. But you know it's at 130 today. So I feel stupid I sold it. But this is the strategy I've been doing over and over again. Sit in cash, wait for something to happen, buy the panic. In the US, a bunch of stocks got hits. Uh, I have a shopping list of stuff I like. And it's funny. If you have 200 names that you feel pretty confident about owning, and you have a price level you want to own them at, and the world goes no bid, uh, literally the S&P went limit down, when it opens up, something's going to get hit harder. There's going to be margin calls. and going to be redemptions. There's be liquidations. The S&P was down 5%. Some stuff was down 7 Some stuff is down 2 Some stuff is down 30 and if you're ready and you know what you want to own, you could just buy it up. Uh, I know these companies in the US. I don't know the UK companies as well. I just bought the American ones that I've owned. Some of these stocks have owned five or 10 times in the last two years. Every time they hit them, I buy it, and then it bounces back. It seems like the strategy is to sit in cash and wait.
0: I mean, that's by and large what I've been doing with my own money is looking at the market and saying, you know what, pretty much everything's overvalued until it's not. Let's wait until it's not. Um, and let's look for the opportunities that are kind of on the far end of that that curve where ironically you've got a lot more asymmetry so you can buy whether it be currencies bonds equities you can do that much much cheaper than you might in any other event and but you've got to wait for that event question that you you could ask yourself is oh well you know like i've mentioned this to other people and they say oh well you know the gfc was like a one-off and you know brexit was a one off, and you know the you know you're getting these sort of six sigma events, but you know what they're not one offs because the market pricing has been so distorted by central bankers that we're getting them with higher frequency and i and you look out twelve eighteen months out and you say to yourself, "What's the likelihood that we have another we get another six sigma event and I have to say that the likelihood's pretty damn good it could be in you know it could be that neutron bomb called Deutsche that goes down, it could be <laughs> Italian bank, you know, there's a it could be China. there's a plethora of opportunities that are going to open up. I mean, I'm like sitting out thinking, you know what if Kyle Bass is right about China and we've been short the remnant for quite some time, but we're, and we're out of it now. but if that thing blows up, that'll be like a that'll be a buying opportunity of a lifetime, right because China's not going away.
1: So, you know, well, I mean, Chris, you're talking about 6 sigma events and you know, I think we could have a global 6 sigma, but I think everyone's waiting for the global 6 sigma and the central bankers, they're going to prop it up. They're not going to let everything crash again. I think you're going to have sector 6 sigmas. It's going to be like with oil where interest rates were too low that a bunch of shale producers flooded the market with oil, they crashed the price of oil and then all bankrupted each other. It was all caused by low interest rates. Basically, bankrupting a sector. I didn't go into the shale stocks, but other parts of the oil ecosystem, especially the service providers, I think these companies are going to survive. They're needed. And some of the ones with better balance sheets are taking market share and winning. I think it's one of these things where you can look at a sector and say, you know, the central bankers aren't going to go in there and bail out, you know, shale companies in America, but uh, they are going to see the shell companies go bankrupt you're going to see a little less production and oil is going to bounce back and that's basically what happened in the last 6 months and you know we just had a brexit and you're going to see this in other sectors over and over again you see basically the after effects of too much liquidity in central banks i mean look at the shipping sectors uh they kept interest rates too low. shipping companies don't go out of business; They just issue more shares over and over and over again, and they keep having day rates where they lose two or three thousand dollars a day operating a boat. Imagine you have a fleet of a hundred boats and you lose three thousand dollars a day every day you show up to work per boat. but then you don't have to really worry because you just do another uh, rights offering and everyone shows up and you refinance your debt and everyone shows up and you know in the past, you'd have these uh, shipping stocks where they go through cycles, a bunch of Greek guys would go broke. A bunch of other Greek guys would buy them up and life would go on. You'd have you know, good years, bad years. You'd have cycles. Now everyone's going broke simultaneously and it might just keep going like this forever. But then you just look at that and you think, what are the after effects? Who suffers? Who benefits? You just need to look at what the central banks are doing with low interest rates and figure out where the cycles are. I mean, of course, gold is going to be great. You know, i I got some bitcoins. I think it's gold on uh, – you know, acid. But um, you know, I think outside of those sort of forever trades, you have the uh, shakeouts, and we've had two of them already in six months. We'll probably have another one or two when the Italian banking system implodes in the fall.
0: Okay, so let's move on to. Um, and I agree with all of that. Emerging markets. What are your view on emerging markets and emerging market equities or bonds?
1: You know, I really don't have a view. Uh, the problem with emerging markets, they're not liquid. In my past life, which was basically before two thousand and eight, emerging markets were excited because they were leveraged to what was happening in China or leveraged to global growth. It was really interesting, and you could take a five- year view. Now with emerging markets, you know there's a little crisis here or Brexit, and all the emerging market stocks drop thirty percent. And there's no liquidity. You can't change your mind. you can't move around. I'd rather have the liquidity to buy down 30 and sell it two weeks later unchanged rather than be in something that goes up and down 30 over and over again. You know, if you look at the first couple of years coming out of 2008, I was actually playing these things and be up, it'd be down, it'd be up. Now I'm just sitting here in cash waiting. It's so much better because you see these shakeouts, they just keep coming. And I'm a generalist investor. You have a month or two to educate yourself on what's happening and then buy stuff.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I've got a similar view. The emerging market space, I think, is in for a, a you know further bout of pain in that we're in a risk-off environment. I don't really see that going away particularly. You're just going to have these continuous bouts of influenza that hit various sectors of the market, and none of that's particularly good for emerging markets, regardless of where that emerging market is, just because it's a liquidity issue. And, like, there's a risk-off, and risk-off positive, the developed markets, it's positive liquidity. So that's treasuries, it's you know, it's US for the most part, which on a relative basis is bearish for emerging markets. And then also if you look at the, the valuations, you know, they're not distinctly they're not that cheap. Um certainly when you look at developed markets as opposed to emerging markets, there's not you basically don't get the liquidity discount that you you probably should get. And then you couple that with foreign exchange risk and the fact we've still got a you know roughly probably five six trillion of, of carry trade that still needs to be unwound and it just doesn't look all that interesting to me.
1: I, I agree with that completely. They they just don't really look cheap. You know I think emerging markets tend to be growing much quicker than the developed world which isn't growing. But in the end, it's just not cheap enough. It's not exciting here. You haven't seen a real real shakeout.
0: Very good. So last point before I leave you. Bitcoin. You mentioned that briefly. What's your thesis on that?
1: I mean, and I know Bitcoin's kind of a big Ponzi scheme. So you have to start with the basic thesis that in five years everyone's going to laugh that Bitcoin got to a hundred billion market cap and then went to zero. You know, it, it's everyone. It, it's obvious it's just a silly Ponzi scheme. This is like Beanie Babies, but you do it on your cell phone. But I think we're still early in the overall Ponzi scheme. I mean, look, you have a product where there's about, what is it, $15 billion worth of these things out there, maybe even a little less. And uh, about half that's owned by early founders. There's really no float. And think of all the media attention it has. Think of all the uh, people trading it. Look at the daily volume. It trades a million Bitcoin a day in China. It's the early stage still of people looking at this and getting excited about it. What they don't have yet is an easy way to play it. They're in the final stages of launching a Bitcoin ETF. I think when that happens, it'll take some of that free float out of the ecosystem. And I think that's when you have the mania phase. When they do launch that Bitcoin ETF, I intend to buy it. I mean, look, everyone knows that money printing is going to destroy the value of the currency. Uh, this is every currency globally. People just, for whatever reason, can't get it in their head to buy gold. Uh, I think they should, but they, they can't. But you can have... Some tech-wired 22-year-old guy who says, yeah, Bitcoin, I could do that. You know, my brother works at a Bitcoin startup. I could do that. There's been a billion dollars raised so far to invest in Bitcoin startups. These are people who are making apps to make it easier for you to use your Bitcoin. You have to assume that with all this money chasing and promoting Bitcoin, you know, you're going to have some sort of crazy mania phase.
0: Pokemon Go with Bitcoin. That's it. (laughs) There's the solution. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> a bunch of zombies walking around with their bitcoins
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah getting on planes like walking across interstate highways to collect their you know their pokemon bitcoin on the other side of the freeway it, it'll be awesome
1: yeah yeah i mean i bought bitcoin honestly cuz i looked at the chart a friend of mine sent me the chart he said look at this and i go wow i want to be long that and then I learned it was Bitcoin, and I go, I don't really want to long, be long that. But then I kind of talked myself into it because this chart looks so right. And, you know, it's up 50% in the two months since I've owned it. I put my stop at break even. I'm not going to lose money unless my Bitcoin exchange collapses and I spread my bet between two exchanges. We'll see what happens. Uh, basically, I either break even or this thing goes uh, supernova.
0: You know, in the world that we're living in today, and I look at what central bankers are doing. Then it actually lands up being a, a credible alternative, as you know, as insane as that might sound. It is actually a credible alternative because it's it's you know digital assets that are just you know there there is a constraint to them. It's a, effectively it's a deflationist currency in that there's only so many that gets issued and they can't issue any more. Very different to our current fiat currency system. Um, Uh,
1: That that might be a step far. I think it's just a giant Ponzi scheme where there's too much liquidity looking for, you know, bubbles. (laughs) If this becomes a currency, I don't – it won't be a currency. Pokemon Go coins have a better chance of being a currency. (laughs) Okay. Interesting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, man. Well, I'll leave you be. you got to get on a plane pretty soon. You probably need to get some sleep.
1: Yeah. Appreciate it. Cool.
0: Thanks very much for tuning in. To receive more great subscriber-only information, go to CapitalistExploits.at.